Hi, friends. I'm Logan Clements, one of your co-hosts with the Better Events podcast. We're so happy to have you here and are excited to talk with you today about how to get more business with RFPs. In this episode, you're going to come away with knowing what do we even mean when we say RFP? How do you know if you should actually submit a proposal? And how you can actually grow your business through these proposals by finding which ones best fit your business and looking for that ideal client. We're sitting down with friend of the pod and a fellow event pro, Vanessa Loney, who's the head of global planning for Blue Ribbon Events. Vanessa's going to share her experience, answer some of our questions, and I know we came away feeling very, very inspired. And before we jump into the episode, I do want to remind you, if you have loved what you're hearing so far, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Five-star reviews are amazing. Tell us what you like, what you want to hear more of. We want to hear from you. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. All right. Welcome everyone to the Better Events Podcast today. We are going to be talking about how to get business through RFPs and I'm one of your co-hosts, Mary Davidson from EP Events. Uh, My background is in fundraising event planning and then this past year has been deep in the virtual world and I'm joined by my co-host, Logan Clements. Logan, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Mary. So happy to be here. I'm Logan Clements. I'm freelance event producer and owner of Logan Strategy Group been living in the virtual event world recently, but excited to get back to in-person events as things open up. And I am so excited for today's guest and today's topic. My friend, Vanessa Loney, she and I work together on a couple projects virtually. So she's another one of my virtual friends who we have not met yet in person, but I consider her an event expert. And so just a little bit more about Vanessa. Over the past 12 years, Vanessa Loney has planned and overseen some of the most elaborate festivals, corporate events, and social galas for a client list that includes celebrities, business executives, and nonprofits. As the head of global planning for Blue Ribbon Events, Vanessa and her team seamlessly plans and executes events and experiences in a wide range of spheres. So Vanessa, without further ado, we're so excited to have you here. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and all these amazing events that you're producing? Well, thank you, first off, for having me. Um, I cannot wait for us to actually meet in person. Um, I think we all kind of have that same sentiment of can't wait to see each other in person. But a little bit about myself. I feel like everyone has their own event journey. Um, I started off getting a degree in accounting um, back years ago. And during that time, I had a work study job that actually was in an event space. And I worked my way up from just the coordinator up into the house manager and I managed a staff of 50. We did uh, concerts and festivals and all types of things in there. And then I graduated <laughs> with my degree in accounting. Um, but my passion still lied with events. And so uh, for two years, I did uh, corporate accounting and I shifted back over to events where I planned events for a real estate development company in Philadelphia. Um, and again, we got to do festivals and all of these large elaborate events. Um, I won the company awards and I felt like I could do this on my own. Um, and so I started Blue Ribbon Events and the first event out the gate was for the United Nations. And it was from a response to an RFP. And so that kind of led me into like the world of RFPs. Um, And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but that's just an overview of how I kind of 
started in the events industry and started into the RP process. That's amazing. Thanks so much for sharing. I love how you called it your event journey. Uh, and I was like, well, what's my event journey? <laughs> Maybe that's a whole nother topic, thinking through your event journey. So uh, that's amazing. And uh, as you mentioned today, we're going to be chatting about RFPs. And those are a really niche way to get business. But there's also an art to finding them from my understanding and reading them and responding to them. And so Vanessa is an expert in that. So we're excited to learn from her today. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it by starting off with the, the simple baseline question of what is an RFP? Sure, um, so RFP, first off, the acronym is Request for Proposal. Um, I My events are mainly corporate, government, and nonprofit, and those three sectors actually are the ones that utilize RFPs the most. Um, a lot of these organizations, what they'll do is they'll think through what the needs are, um, especially for an event, um, and they look for an event producer producer or event manager, and they'll put out an RFP via the internet, or sometimes you'll get it mailed to you. Um, I know with now with COVID, everything is electronic, but um, you will see that it is a full page, a full, fully thought out document. Um, and it can range from a three page document up to a 50 page document. Um, and this outlines everything that they're looking for as far as the company um, background, um, the scope of work, the pricing, the criteria, um, and what the review process is. And so um, for me, RFPs are great because they are fully thought out. Um, and so when you finally are getting to that point where you are talking to the client, they thought through everything um, and you just kind of just like easing your way in. So that's an RFP. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us, Vanessa. I, we talked about your event journey a little bit before, but how did you actually start doing RFPs and why? Can you dig into that just a little bit deeper? Sure. Um, so my first introduction to it, um, I think I was going through the process of how do you get clients, right? Like you start your business, but no one tells you how to get clients. And so I started going down the rabbit hole of different ways to approach it. Um, I used to cold call, cold email, and those weren't working for me. And so I decided, OK, how do I get in front of the people who are going to hire me? What are the types of businesses and how do I get in front of them? And so I went into LinkedIn and really just um, made sure I had the network that I wanted. So now I say, I have all these people, now what do I do? Um, and so I started to look into how to get directly in contact with um, those hiring people. And so Thumbtack, which is a freelancer kind of portal where it attaches you or match makes, match makes um, you know, those, those different um, areas. And so I started doing that and then I started getting asked to give a proposal. So it wasn't specifically an RFP, but it was, hey, here's all the things we're looking for. Can you send us a proposal um, in response to all the things we want? And so it was kind of like, OK, I can do this. But I wasn't getting business. And it was a lot of time consuming, like a lot of work went into putting the proposals together. Um, and then I started to feel like it wasn't worth my time. And so Thumbtack was not it's not corporate. Right. Thumbtack is kind of like weddings or like the smaller um, businesses. And so I said, RFPs are great, but I need like the clients that I actually want. And so I started to go on LinkedIn and just do a search, right? Like RFPs for events and just random keywords. And then things started to pop up. And so the United Nations had an RFP that was out. I think it was due in like five days um, from the time that I found it. And I started to scramble because it felt big, right? It felt like this is something that probably is outside of my comfort level, my, you know, my league. And I said, why not? Throw your hat in the ring, see what happens. Um, and so I found the RFP through LinkedIn and I responded and I didn't hear back. And so I said, all right, well, let's just keep going. And so 
I saw that they reposted it. So the deadline had passed and they reposted it. And so I'm like, okay, so how do I get in front? Because they probably didn't even read my RFP. So I started to look at the RFP and look at the key terms. And I said, I bet they have some kind of algorithm where they're just filtering, just like an interview or like a job application, they're probably filtering out. And so I reapplied and I got selected. <laughs> and that from that point on kind of just started to, I started to shape how I approached RFPs and how I responded um, and what those key terms were. So a pretty big first, um, and, but it was a confidence booster and it really started my RFP process. So. Yeah, I wonder if your background with, you know, accounting and everything kind of helped you approach it that methodically. Analytically, um, right. Yeah, like <laughs> analytically. Like yeah. I think I think that's such a like an awesome takeaway or even insight. I know we we think about it with like our resumes and our on our CVs and I guess maybe a good way to think about an RFP is kind of like a resume for your business and so you want to incorporate the same thing you do with your resume or your LinkedIn profile with those keywords when you're applying for things, same thing you want in your in your RFP, which is so cool. Um, so I guess my biggest question is like, what opportunities are out there by doing RFPs? What kind of opportunities does it bring to you as a business owner? Yeah, for me, um, I saw that I was getting a better return as far as like profit. And so those companies, organizations, again, the three sectors that I usually work in are the corporate, the nonprofit, the government. And so these are higher dollar events. And so I feel that what I've been seeing are those that are putting out RFPs have the budget. And it kind of cuts out the little guys. Like for me, I don't want to do 100 events a year. That's just not my business model. I want to do 10 high dollar events a year um, and 10 being the most. And so RFPs for me cuts all of that down. Um, and so I get to choose the clients that I want to work with. Um, you know, an RFP, they put their full background in the RFP. That's kind of the first thing they do. And so I get to decide the type of events and the type of organizations I want to attach myself to. And then when you get down to the pricing, then I'm like, this aligns with my business goals as far as financially. So for me, it's kind of like a matchmaking in that sense of like, I'm also interviewing them in the RFP. Um, yeah. So it kind of just takes away all of that fluff and just gets straight down to the business. Oh, I love that. Matchmaking for your for your <laughs> ideal client. That's like another cool, <laughs> that's another great way to think about it. Because I, I think, yeah. and we talked a little bit before we started recording this podcast, but I think RFPs can just be like intimidating. If right. you've never... Even just the word, the, the acronym RFP, I think in the business world, there are these acronyms we throw around. And if you're someone who's never heard the word RFP before, you're probably not going to stop and ask somebody to define it for you. Right. So knowing that maybe I just think you're, everything you're sharing is making it seem a lot more attainable. I mean, I'm even sitting here like, oh, I should apply for more RFPs because I like those ideas of like you getting to pick your client and you getting to make sure their goals align with your goals. Like it feels like a very intentional process. Right. which is which is really cool and something I didn't I guess I don't associate with RFPs when I think about it but yeah cuz RFPs feel serious right like they feel like I think what we do is the the fun part of our job right obviously it's stressful but like when you think of an event planner it is not you don't associate it with an RFP and a business and a bottom line and so from a business side though that is what this is you are a part of their budget their overall budget and so you know, it's great because they're getting out what they want and you're also getting to choose and pick what you want out of it. And so for me, I've just changed my mindset about it and it has worked phenomenally for me. So, yeah. And can you talk a little bit more about like how you do decide if it's worth it to go the RFP route or how like when you have those clients, like how, have you been in a situation where you have had to say, you know, maybe this probably isn't the best fit and that's okay because you have other opportunities or yeah, just talk a little bit more about 
about how to decide if it's worth it? Yeah, so I, when I first started out, I would just do one RFP at a time um, because it takes a lot of time to do RFPs. And so I don't know if, you know, if you've seen RFPs before, again, they can go from three pages up to 50. And so for me, when I'm reading an RFP, I go straight to the scope of work because I want to see one, do I even meet the criteria, right? A lot of times I'm international. And so I'll look at an international RFP. If they're looking for a Canadian-based company, that takes me out of the running instead of me going through and reading that 50-page document, and then I don't get to the scope of work until the end, I've now wasted my time, right? Because no one pays you to respond to RFPs. Time is money. And so you want to be as efficient, efficient as possible when you're approaching RFPs. And so um, for me, when I'm going to an RFP, I go straight to the scope of work. And I see, if, is this everything that I have already in my wheelhouse? Or is it something that I just don't do? Like sponsorships, I can do, but I'm not selling sponsorships. I can do sponsorship fulfillment, but I will not be selling sponsorships on your behalf. And so that takes me out of the running for a lot of galas um, because it is a fundraising event, right? And so being very intentional about the type of events I'm looking to do um, helps me kind of narrow down which RFPs to apply to. And so what I started to do now is I'll uh, respond to RFPs. I do three at a time. Um, and so even this week I have, um, I think the 23rd, 24th and 25th are the due dates. And so you're essentially using the same information for each one and just kind of adapting it. That way I'm kind of just like copy pasting, adapting and sending um, because you won't, a lot of the times you won't hear back from them. Um, if you got it, they'll respond to you. If you didn't, you gotta keep moving. And so for me, that has been the most efficient way is to just do them in, in bulk um, and then send them out and then keep doing it again until you get a response. And so I've really created a process for it. Um, but for me, Reading an RFP, I go straight to the scope of work. Um, sometimes they'll also give you the pricing um, of their budget and say like, hey, you know, we can do 45,000 or whatever your budget is, um, which is great. And sometimes they're very vague. Um, those ones that don't give you a lot of information, I tend to steer away from. Again, it takes a lot of work to put an RFP together. And so if you didn't put the work in to tell me what you need, I'm not gonna put the work in to like try to give you information. Um, because another thing on the flip side, these RFPs are great, but sometimes companies are using this to like take your ideas and not in a malicious way, but in a way where they are probably at a point where they just don't know um, what to do. And so they want your full ideas and you might never hear from them, but now they're taking your ideas and going with it. So you have to be very intentional about how much information you give out um, in your RFPs as well. So um, trial and error. Um, for me, I think what I have been doing what worked for one, and I've been successful in that RFP, I'll take that and just keep adapting the same one because it's an award-winning um, RFP. That's how I like to think of it because I won the award. <laughs> so it Love is an award-winning RFP. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just wonder, I guess that's like the crux of it, you know, for something like these where RFPs, they can be intimidating to start and then you can spend all these time, this time on it and then you're submitting it and you hear nothing back. So I get, and I guess, and the other point though, of, of walking that line between, and I, I struggle with this, even just with I, what I just say, just regular proposals. So they're going to clients who've not sent me an RFP, but I'm still sending them a proposal based on what we talk about. But that like fine line between wanting to be helpful and lay out the roadmap for what you'd want to accomplish, but not give away all your trade secrets. I mean, how have you found for the ones that you've been successful with, like, how have you found, is there a correlation of doing a nice balance or is it really just finding the right client at the right moment? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both, right? So for me, I talk about my process as opposed to my output. 
Meaning like, how are you going to do marketing or how are you going to do X, Y, Z? I will lay that out because again, if that helps you with, you know, how you manage your project, sure, you can take that from me. But what I won't do is say like, hey, like this is the marketing plan. Like from this point, we're gonna put this post because again, that takes a lot of your time and this isn't my client yet. Um, I can give you a preview of it if you ask, even if you need something from a prior client, that's kind of how I like to spin it too, is this is something that I've done before that maybe you can adapt for yours or we can you know, make it, make it your own. Um, that way it's taking less off of me as like creating an entire thing for them and I never hear from them again. Again, because RFPs, they just need to be worth your time. Um, that's the number one thing I've taken away from this. It has to be time worthy. Um, the price has to be right. Um, and, and especially if you're gonna have a team involved in this, right? Now you need to make sure that your team is available for the time frame that's in the RFP. And so there's a lot of things that go into your response um, because if they do come back in a week and you haven't actually talked to your team <laughs> and now no one's available, like those are the things that you should be doing ahead of time. Although you haven't booked the client yet, just make sure that what you're saying in the RFP, you can actually um, make good on. I love that. I like, I'm like, yeah, don't promise, don't overpromise. That's what oh. I, I, I have a project I'm on right now. We're all about expectation management. I was like, yeah. I want to impress them. So we're going to over deliver, but we need to, like, we need to, our promises need to be at a certain level. Exactly. Um, and that's something I think when you talk about, you know, you said you're working on a couple at a time and that's how you kind of batch how you tackle RFPs. Do you, how do you go about responding to these RFPs in terms of like, as a business owner, do you set aside time every month and go, hey, I'm going to put X amount of hours towards doing RFPs, targeting events that are, you know, six months in the future or whatever it is, or is it a rolling basis? Like you're just constantly looking for them or how do you kind of structure the time you spend doing the work versus going after new work with these RFPs? Right. So I think it was a lot of trial and error. I think as a business owner, I'm sure we all can relate. There's ebbs and flows to your business. And so you could be really busy at one point and then you have nothing. And so what I've learned is keep something always on your calendar. And so for me, it's always a rolling basis. I'm always looking for RFPs, even if like right now I have five projects. I probably can't take anything else on now. But some of these RFPs, they can ask for an event for next year, right, for 2022. And you might not start until the fall. And so I'm always looking for something, even if right now I can't take it on. I want to set myself up for the future because I've gotten to a point where it, it, there was no business. And it was at a point where I'm sure we've all, the holidays are not a good time to try to go get new business. <laughs> and so, what? Um, People aren't on email over the holidays? Crazy. Right. And so I have now, I have kind of like PTSD. I'm like, I would never get to that point. I need to always have something lined up. And so for me, I'm always looking at the RFPs, um, the, the ones that are coming out. And I think we'll talk about, you know, how I find RFPs, but I'm always on, on constantly um, looking at them. And so try to get as many batch. If I can't find three at a time, that's fine. I will at least have one going um, at least once a month. I'll have, you know, a response going out. And you mentioned earlier too, I'm curious about this, like, because I've never done an RFP. So it sounds like there's like quite a bit of writing, almost as if you're like putting in a cover letter or something like that. But additionally, do you send like portfolio pieces or like examples from other, it sounds like you mentioned like you could send them an example of a marketing timeline if they want it or something like that. Um, yeah. So can you just talk a little bit more about that as well? Yeah. So I typically don't. So this is how I kind of respond to my RFPs. I have the same kind of cover letter that outlines, you know, who I am, 
uh, my business, how long I've been in business, and what my goal is to accomplish your RFP. And a lot of times it'll just be like, hey, you know, everything that we say in the scope is what we'll do. I'll sign my name. That's the first page. Second page is just an outline, a, a blurb about my business, and just some contact information if they need to get back to me. These are all standard things that you can just keep adapting to each RFP. And then I'll go into um, the goals and objectives, which is essentially just responding to the scope of work. And so a lot of these RFPs will literally just write out an outline. Here's all the things we need. Um, and so what I'll do is I'll go in and I'll just like literally copy, paste it, put it in my RFP, and then just say like how I'm going to do all of those things. Now, again, I won't keep the language from the RFP, but I will say like, hey, in order to do this, we will do this. Um, so that's the scope of work. And then sometimes I'll ask for references. I've never had anyone reach out to my references in an RFP because it's not a job per se, right? Like they, it's, it, they just want to know that you have someone. If we needed to reach out to someone, do you have that person? And so I usually put my references and then I'll put case studies of past events. And so again, all of this is just writing. I don't give pictures. I don't give anything. Um, and I use the same kind of three events or depending on the event I'm going after. If it's a conference, I'll use past conferences I've done. If it's, you know, a virtual event. And so I'll just put the blurbs. I usually use three um, different events that I've done. And it, essentially it's just like, hey, here's the name of the event, the year. Here's what my role in that was. And a lot of times I'll try to adapt it to what they're looking for. And so I'll say like, hey, I did full hotel negotiations, this, 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 and this, um, because that's what they're looking for. So I'll put all that information and then I put the budget. And that's standard for all of my, my RFPs. And if they ask for a different, more you know elaborate thing, I'll decide if it's worth it. Like I will never um, give my financial information. Some RFPs, they will ask like, are you financially stable enough to put this event on? And so we need three years worth of financial audit statements. That RFP is not for me because I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. That and could so, be a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. And I'm like, it's, there's not, it's not, you're not paying me enough um, to do that. Even in the, if I got the budget back and like, I, it's just not enough for me. Um, but again, that could be somebody else's wheelhouse, right? Like that's something that I'm sure there's not a lot of people responding to that. Right. And so they might have a, a leg up on that. But for me, I had to pick what it is that's my sweet spot. And so that outline kind of helps me um, to adapt to each RFP that I respond to. Yeah, I think when I hear RFP too, I definitely, I, I think about like the federal and state contracting um, processes and getting certified as a vendor with the federal government or your local state government. Both Mary and I are based here in, in Washington state. And I'd been diving into the whole getting like women-owned business certified because I had a client who wanted it for a pro for to have me be certified for a project. So I guess from your experience, Vanessa, are you certified in any of these things or a lot of these and transitioning into how you're finding these RFPs or are these ones that you're finding through other databases or other places than these, you know, strict kind of federal and state lists? Yeah. So I do not um, subscribe to any of those lists and I do that kind of on purpose. One, I'm trying to cut down how many emails that I'm receiving. And so I think it'd be great to like receive RFPs perfect for me, like in a package that just says like here, but that's just not the case with some of those lists. Sometimes they're just going to keep just sending you and you're going to get to a point where you're not paying attention. And so for me, when I'm ready to look for an RFP, I go to the source. And so my source, I guess we're getting into how I find RFPs. I find most of my RFPs through LinkedIn. Again, I think we talked at the, the top of this hour is that I created a network, a really solid network of people who would be hiring for the type of services that I can provide. 
And so when I'm going in the search engine, I look for, again, keyword. What's worked for me is event RFP. Really simple, straight to the point. Um, like and it. because I look for it um, on a rolling basis, I'm always, it's always at the top. And so when I put the search in, um, I look through posts. That's a key tip. Don't go through jobs, look through posts. And so that is anyone who's in your network who I would put a status update or something in their network as well, it'll show up in your, your search feed. And so then I sort it by latest, again, because I'm always searching. And so it'll default to what matches your keywords. No, no, I always do latest. That way I can go through and search it. And so I found all of my RFPs that way. Um, it's just someone saying like, hey, we're looking for an event planner. Here's an RFP. Like, let me know if you have any questions. And so that has been kind of an insider's tip. But if I get to a point where there's nothing coming through, I'll Google. Google is really hard to sort through. There's a lot of um, scam emails, like um, spoof email addresses. And so you really have to be um, intentional about which ones you're clicking. You don't want any viruses. Um, but I also will um, sort and put time-wise on there. Like I'll put probably the last two weeks because again, these RFPs, timeline-wise, when they're putting these out, they don't give you a whole lot of time to respond. That's something that you should keep in mind is like, you might see an RFP come out one week and it's due five days. Like you have five days to respond. And so that's why it's important to have your template. That way you can just adapt quickly. Um, but yeah, and so I'll do that. And then sometimes what I'll do is I'll go on Indeed. And so there's a lot of companies that will post their RFPs within Indeed. And so I actually put keywords in Indeed as well, event RFP. And I've come up with some RFPs that way as well. Um, so you have to get really creative. And so yeah. within Indeed, they don't let you post like um, your website. And so sometimes within the body of the, the job description, it'll say like, hey, go to our website to see the full RFP. Because I, for me, my rule of thumb is if the RFP is not in a PDF form, it's not real. <laughs> like I want to make Ooh. sure that this is a legit yep. RFP and not someone who like copied and pasted from someone else. Because that has happened to me before where they were like, the deadline passed like three weeks ago. And I'm like, but this says it's due tomorrow. And they're like, no, no, like that's not legit. And so also doing your due diligence to make sure that these RFPs are um, coming directly from the company and not some you know third party. Um, but yeah, for yeah. me, that's kind of LinkedIn has been my main source for RFPs and connections. Um, and then from there, you know, hoping for the best from these other places, but LinkedIn. That gives me very, a lot of hope as a business owner, because I know Mary's heard me talk about this, but going through the state certification process for some of these, you know, stamps for your business take a really long time. They're anywhere from like three to six months. So in terms of tangible things that if you're listening to this and you own an event business, or I know RFPs are honestly across the board for whatever business you do, like this is an opportunity for you to find new business today by going on LinkedIn and indeed like Vanessa mentioned. Vanessa, are you seeing faster turnarounds recently for RFPs? I'm curious because like we've talked about it for virtual events. I mean, I'm getting a call like a month out for someone to help with their virtual event. Have you seen that impact the like RFP window where people are looking for like faster responses and faster execution? Yes. Oh, for sure. So I started at the top of this year with one client. Um, like I just said, I have five clients because they are I think what's happening is 2020 was the Band-Aid year, right? Like 2020 was like, we can't do what we usually do, but we need to do something. This year, people are becoming more intentional. And, you know, with the vaccination, there's a little bit more confidence around events happening in person. And so these companies have budgeted now. They've budgeted for this in-person slash virtual, and they don't know how to go about doing a hybrid event. 
And so they're leaning more on the event professionals, which for me, I think is great. And, you know, there's so much business to go around. I hope this podcast helps people to find these opportunities because I have had to turn down stuff. Like right now I have three RFPs I want to respond to. Um, one of them probably won't work because it's in the middle of one of, of two events that I have, but put my hat in the ring anyway. And so, yeah. for me, so I'm like, this is the, this is the time to, to look for RFPs um, because these corporates, they still, they're all about bottom line, right? Events, it, depending on your, um, your sector that you do. I do corporate, like I was saying, Corporate, they have a bottom line. These events are bringing in business for them, especially conferences, and those won't stop. And so they have to find a way to do them. And you, as the event professional, as the expert, you're there to tell them, this is what I've done, and this this is what could happen. And so for me, this is the time. This is the time that we're coming back as event professionals. And so um, I definitely think trying to figure out your RFP process now would be great. Um, there's just so much to go around. Well, thank you so much. I, for one, am like super enlightened. And I I actually, I meant to say this earlier, but I um, had someone email me today. They're, I'm like part of a networking group with them. And they asked me to submit an RFP for a local event. And I was like, well, this timing is like impeccable because I'm going to learn what I need to do in this next podcast that we're yeah. filming. So seriously, thank you so much. I'm excited to, to use some of what you've taught us today. And I hope that the listeners can as well. It's a really interesting way to try to get business. And we've talked about, um, you know, what RFPs are, the art of finding them, reading them, responding to them, and definitely lots of tangible tips that we can take moving forward. Um, so before we, before we go, though, why don't we tell us where listeners can find you? What are your social media or any place that you would like them to come and find you? Sure. Well, you can add me to your LinkedIn because now you can tap into my network. Um, so it's Vanessa, V-A-N-E-S-S-A, last name Loney, L-O-N-E-Y, and you can find me there. Um, you can also find me on Facebook. I'm not as active on Facebook, but it's nice to have followers. And so you can find it at Blue Ribbon Events um, based out of Philadelphia. Yeah. Vanessa, my fellow Philly girl. I love it. That's when we realized that connection when we were, we're both West Coast now, but originally from Philly and I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, we really appreciate having you here, Vanessa. I could keep, we could keep talking to you. I have them also. I'm like, there's so many more questions, but we'll have to have you back uh, and maybe to continue talking about RFPs. Um, for our podcast listeners, uh, feel free to submit us any questions at our uh, email for bettereventspod at gmail.com. And I think that's I think that's all that we have with you, Vanessa. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. All right. And before we wrap up, I know, Mary, we love to leave listeners with a bonus tip. So I think this week we're going to talk about audio connection because we're talking about virtual events still. And so my bonus tip would be to upgrade your audio connection for any video call that you're on, making sure that you're utilizing headphones and or Mary and I are both currently, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see we have headphones on in addition to using external microphones. So you want to make sure if you're using headphones, we'd recommend to hardline them in so they actually plug in. And then the pro tip is that they actually have a microphone on them. So you should be able to see a little box on your headphones, little like Apple headphones are great. If you're using AirPods or Bluetooth, we found that those get good volume but can disconnect randomly or run out of battery, and they tend to make your voice sound like you're on the phone. So not that we don't recommend them, but if you can hardline, hardwire your headphones in, that's going to set you up for success, whether you're doing a virtual event as a speaker, an event host, or you're just trying to level up your next meeting game. We would head highly recommend getting headphones, and if you're someone who does this for a living or does a podcast like Mary and me, 
do invest in an external microphone. It's worth it. It's there's anywhere from $40 to hundreds of dollars, but the ones Mary and I are using are ranging anywhere just from 40 to to a hundred bucks. So invest in that and you'll thank us later. Absolutely. Yeah. And feel free to give us a follow. Um, Logan mentioned our email earlier, but you can also follow us on Instagram at better events pod. And then you can find me, Mary at EP events, LLC and Logan, where can listeners find you? You can follow me on Instagram at, at Logan strategy group underscore events, or you can also like Vanessa mentioned, you can add either of us on LinkedIn just under Logan Clements and Mary Davidson. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, everyone. I've learned a lot today and until next time. Bye guys. Bye.